Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. This morning we are looking at the last of a short series we've been doing in the book of Acts and we're going to have our Bible reading now. So if you've got your Bible there, flick it open to Acts chapter 28 or it'll be also on the screen. Where we're picking up the stories, the Apostle Paul has invited uh, the Jewish leaders to come and talk to him about this message of Jesus. And this is where we pick it up, Acts 28, reading from verse 23. Uh, they, that is the Jewish leaders, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from the morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his fo- this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They are hardly hearing. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Awesome. Hey, it's great to be here. Again, if we've never met, my name's Ben. And uh, we're going to look at this passage as we finish off this series. But let's pray first and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather uh, together this morning. Thank you that we can be here in this room hearing you speak to us. Lord, we pray that right now we would be able to come before your word and hear what you are saying. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to hear and understand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple uh, months ago now, Elizabeth and I watched the movie Hidden Figures. I don't know if you've seen that. It came out in 2016. We watched it then and we watched it again recently. And this movie is about the three women who kind of helped America get to the moon. They were African-American women, and each of them played a different role in how they got there. Uh, So one of the women was uh, a mathematician, so she helped with the maths stuff. One was an engineer, and she helped with the engineer stuff. And one was a supervisor, and she helped with the technology and looking after teams and all of that sort of stuff. And it's it's a great movie to watch um, because you watch these three kind of unknown women play a part in something so much bigger than themselves in a time where African-Americans weren't really valued and neither were women in the workforce. 
And, and it's awesome to watch. And I think as you watch this movie, what makes this movie really good, um, if you have seen it, what makes it really good is not kind of the, I don't know, the, the filmography or whatever it's called, the music, the acting. I don't think that's what makes this movie good. I think what makes this movie good is the story. It's the story of people playing a role in something so much bigger than themselves. It's the story of people who were unknown, against all odds, participating in something that left a legacy and they were a part of something bigger than you know, what they could have been before that. And I, as I'm watching this, I want that. I resonate with that. And I think as humans, we do as well. I think as humans, we like the idea that we can play a part in something bigger than ourselves. Right? Like whether we're young or old, we want to leave some kind of legacy. We want, to have, we want to play some part in some kind of bigger story than just the one that we've got in front of us. And what's interesting is we get to this passage today at the end of the book of Acts, is we actually see that there's an invitation here for us to kind of push into that space. There's an invitation as we get to the, the end of Acts, a question that's being asked of us. And the question is, will you participate in the bigger story? Will you join in on what God is doing in this world? Will you get involved in that? And then we want to ask the question too, what does that even look like? So if you have your Bibles there today, let's uh, open up. We're in Acts chapter 28. We had it read out for us before, and it's going to be on the screen as well. But notice as we read this first bit, notice kind of the hint of what the invitation is for us to be involved in. We, we pick it up from verse 23. It says, uh, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law and, prophet, uh, and from the prophets tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had, had made this final statement. So here's the final sermon of the book of Acts. What's he going to say? Well, it's, it's kind of extraordinary. He says this, The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I will hear them. And then you get the kind of the big moment here. He says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So what what are we invited to here? Well, we kind of see it in this last verse here. In verse 28, it's the big moment of this final, you know, the final chapter of this final story of Acts in the final sermon. And he says the message of salvation, the message of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the fact that you can find life and swim in the forgiveness, the safety of forgiveness, this message is going to be sent to the Gentiles, which is basically to the ends of the earth. Right? So a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. He's saying this message will go to the ends of the earth. Now that's kind of extraordinary. right? Like that's, a, that's a big statement from Paul. And it's an extraordinary statement on the back of an extraordinary book, the book of Acts. Now it's worth grounding ourselves a little bit here for a moment because I know that we've jumped 20 chapters in the book of Acts. You know, if you were with us last week, we were in chapter 8 of Acts and now we're in 28 and we've missed some extraordinary stuff. It's worth reading the book of Acts if you're interested in this because you just see moment by moment God doing some amazing things in this world. 
You know, last week we saw how God worked in the middle of hardships and that we can be excited because God is working in hardships. Now, there was this verse last week where we saw, I don't know if you remember this, but we got this glimpse of Saul. It said Saul was going around killing Christians pretty much. Well, since that moment, Saul became a Christian in chapter 9. That's what happened. It's an extraordinary movement of God for Saul to become a Christian. He's also known as Paul, and he's the guy that we see in 28. Uh, From chapter 9 onwards, you get some awesome stuff. You get jails being broken open, miracles, signs, wonders, men and women becoming Christians. My favorite story and what we've missed is when a guy called Eutychus falls asleep during one of uh, Paul's long sermons, and he's sitting on a window ledge and dies. You know, if you've ever been bored in one of our sermons and fallen asleep, just thank the Lord that you're on a stable chair. He dies, but then Paul finishes the sermon, goes and raises him back to life. Right, just casually does that over and over again in 20 chapters that we've missed, extraordinary movements of God. And now here we are in the final chapter. And what Paul says here is quite extraordinary, that the message of salvation will go to the ends of the earth. Now, why is this extraordinary? Why is this a big deal, what he's saying? Well, well, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's a big deal because this is what Jesus said would happen. You know, in Acts 1, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he said the gospel would go out to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We've seen that happen. You know, in chapter 2, we saw that. In chapter 8, we saw it go to Judea and Samaria. Now Paul is saying this is being fulfilled, and it's been fulfilled, and it's going to continue to be fulfilled. It's a big deal because Jesus said that this would happen. But there's another reason why this is a big deal. It's because he's speaking about the invitation that we're kind of invited to. You know, the fact that he's saying the message will go out to everyone everywhere is touching on who will be involved in that. People will be involved in taking the message to everyone everywhere. You know, if the message just stayed in Jerusalem, if people didn't take it to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, it would never have spread. But it spread. It kept going. And so we see in this final sermon kind of the invitation here that we're kind of invited to, being a part of, to play a part of the biggest story of what God is doing in this world. So here it is, the final sermon in the book of Acts. Now, what are we expecting to happen next? His final sermon where he says the gospel is going to go to everyone. What are we expecting to happen next? I think we're expecting a big finale, right? Like any good movie has a big finale. You know, any good movie has a good finish, a good ending. You know, you do get some of those movies that try and be edgy and just finish. You know the ones I'm talking about. And some people will say they're good movies, but they're not. They're terrible movies. No one likes just a movie that doesn't end with anything. We like movies with good endings. And we, we, when we, even when we're telling stories, we save the best bit till the end right? You save the best bit till the end. So what are we expecting here? You know, the the most extraordinary story really of all time, the story of Luke of how Jesus died and rose again, and then the story of how Jesus worked in his church. What are we expecting? We're expecting an extraordinary finale. So what do we get? Well, we see it in verse 30 and 31. Here is the biggest ending you've ever seen. Verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, if we're expecting an extraordinary ending, what do we get? Ordinary. Right? Like that is 
super ordinary. It's mundane what we see here. And, and it feels kind of out of place. I mean, think about it. Look at the detail there. Who cares that Paul rented his house? Right? Like, who cares that he rented and didn't buy? And who cares how long his lease was? I couldn't care less whether he was there for two years or one year or six months or if his landlords kicked him out after one month. I don't care about that. Right? It feels so ordinary, doesn't it? It feels just mundane. It feels like in some ways this ending shouldn't be the way that the book of Acts ends. But why do we get this? Why do we get this ending? Especially when the temptation for us is to want something more extraordinary. Isn't it? Like, I want to see the ending of this. I want more extraordinary stuff. I want more cities overturned with the gospel. You know, I want more sorcerers becoming Christians. I want more people dying during sermons and being raised back to life. I want more of any of that. But we don't get that. So why do we get the ending that we get? Why is this the ending to the greatest story of all time in Luke and in Acts? Well, again, it's for two reasons. The first reason we see that this ends like this is because what Luke is showing us here is that God doesn't simply work in the extraordinary. He also works in the ordinary. And see this, that's just as exciting and just as good that God works in the ordinary. Right? I mean, feel this for a moment. Like, feel if you're Paul. Think about it if you're Paul. So you became a Christian in chapter 9, and then from then on, your life of telling people about Jesus has pretty much been severe persecution after severe persecution. Right? For Paul, he is a guy that has been beaten up a lot. In fact, at one point, they tried to kill him by throwing stones at him. So no doubt Paul is one of those people that you just look at, and you can tell he's been through a bit. You know, he's probably sitting here still with scars on him. He's been through a lot. In fact, in the last few chapters, the chapters we've missed, he's been shipwrecked and then bitten by a deadly snake. Survived it, but still bitten by a snake. This is Paul. And yes, he's gone through extraordinary stuff, but do you think he's excited or disappointed that he gets two years in his own house? Of course he's excited by that. He gets two years in his own house while people come and go. And you can see that in his words, in, kind of, or in these words in verse 31. He's preaching without, with boldness and without hindrance. Paul loves the fact that he can speak about Jesus in ordinary ways. And what we're seeing here, what we see here is that God doesn't simply work in the extraordinary. He also works in the ordinary and it's just as good. You know, we, we can't afford to forget that there is something beautiful about being able to share the message of Jesus without being put in prison. You know, like we can't afford to forget that there is something good about not being beaten up and stones thrown at us when we speak about Jesus. And right around the world, there are people who are suffering for their faith right now that would long for what we've got. And, And what we see at the end of Acts is that God works here. He works in the ordinary. He works in rentals. <laughs> he works in the ordinary moments as we speak about Jesus. So, so that's the first reason we, we finish like this. But the second reason, there's another reason here, and the second reason is kind of, again, it's touching on the invitation that we've got. You see, um, as, as we finish the book of Acts, there's some stuff here that's left unresolved. Okay, so if you're someone that hates movies with no endings, if that triggers you, then this might trigger you. We don't know what happens to Paul. 
right? We don't get that. We don't get what happens to Peter. We haven't heard from Philip for like seven chapters. Have you ever wondered why that is? Like, why don't we get what happens to these guys? Why don't we get like, okay, Paul was in his house for two years and then, and then preached for five years and then died. Why don't we get any of that? Well, I think it's because if, if we were to slow down and read the whole book of Acts, we would realize that Paul and Peter and Philip, they're not the heroes of the story. And when you get to the end of Acts, you're not really meant to ask the question, what happened to Paul or Peter or Philip? You're not even meant to go, will I be like those guys? Because they're not the heroes of the story. The hero of the story is Jesus. Over and over again, he's the hero of the story, the one who died and rose again and ascended in glory, the one who established his church as he gave the Holy Spirit, the one who worked in hardship. He's the hero of the story. And so even though we get to the end of the book of Acts, the reality is he hasn't stopped working. So the book finishes, but in a way the story continues. And so in some ways we're meant to get to the end of the book of Acts and not go, what happened to Peter or Paul or Philip? We get to the end of the book of Acts and we ask the question, will I be involved in the story of how God is working in this world? Will I continue the story of Acts? The biggest story of God working in the middle of hardships, in the middle of trials to help people see the life-giving message of Jesus. That's why this ends like this. It's asking the question of us, will you keep the story going? And then it's kind of the question too that we want to think about is, what does that even look like? You know, what does it mean for us to keep the story going? To participate in the mission of God? Because I know often, you know, in churches we'll say, you know, be on mission, but we won't help you see how to do that mission. And so we wanted to kind of slow down this morning and and think about that question. Okay, so what does it mean for us to participate in the story of what God is doing in this world? What does it look like for us to, to actively be involved in mission? And so we wanted to kind of give four practical things this morning to help with this. Four things, okay, to help with how we actually do the mission of God in this world and keep the story going. So what are they? Well, number one uh, is we pray. That's the first thing we do. Okay, in the book of Acts, we see this over and over again, that the church in Acts are fueled by prayer. Okay, their mission is fueled by prayer. In Acts chapter 1, they don't do anything, they pray and then they go. We see that time and time again. And so for us to be a people that continue the story of God in this world, we must be a people of prayer. And so we want to help you with that. And so we got these on mission cards that you got at the front door, right? You can call them 321 cards or whatever. But the idea is to pray once a day for two minutes for three people. So they're two-sided, right? And on the back, you can write three people on that card who aren't yet Christians. And the idea is, this is a reminder to help you to pray for those people. Now, a few years ago when we did this, uh, I put mine on my mirror. So every time I brushed my teeth, twice a day for two minutes, just in case you're wondering, I remembered to pray for those people in my life. Right now, there's nothing special about these cards. They're reminders to be praying for people who don't yet know Jesus. So if you've got a pen there, write the names down. Take this moment to do that. If you don't, don't put this in your service sheet and chuck it out. Keep it with you and write. And here's why. It's because prayer works. God works through prayer. When we pray, God moves and he hears us and he answers that. In fact, let me tell you how this works. Last time we did this, Christina 
caught me after the service, and she said that 23 years ago, she had one of these cards. It wasn't a 3-2-1 card, it was a 1-1 card, and you'll have to ask Christina why it was a 1-1 card after the service, but she wrote Barry's name down on this, and for six years, prayed for Barry, who wasn't yet a Christian. And every time she put hers in her purse, and every time she opened her purse, she remembered to be praying for Barry. And like you know, right, Barry is among us. He believes in Jesus. It works. This is something that that works because prayer works. Now, it's not like we can write our names down and that's exactly going to happen. No, prayer is relying and dependent on God to move. But these are reminders to do that. And so take this time. Do that, right? Write these names down. That's the first thing that we can do. What's the second thing that we can do? As we think about mission and what it looks like to keep the story going, well, we invite people over for a meal. Now, I know this is a difficult one for us, particularly at the moment with COVID, 10 10 people restrictions. Um, Also, if you're under 30, I think, this is not something we're typically good at, okay? But if we want to get better at helping people see Jesus, we have to get better at inviting people over for a meal. And here's why. Recently, I was reading a book called evangelism in a skeptical world by a guy called sam chan if you're interested in this stuff it's a really really good book and he talks about how in the last 60 years in australia what is sacred and what's secular has changed okay so kind of think about it almost as public and private or or private and public so what's sacred is like my beliefs right my what i think about god my religion that kind of stuff what's secular is what the world believes And he was saying in the last 60 years, a change has happened in our society where it's no longer appropriate to speak about sacred in secular spaces. Okay, so 60 years ago, walk-up evangelism was way more effective than it is now because now it's kind of inappropriate. Now people don't care, right? They're not interested. Sometimes it can either cause no, it can do nothing or cause damage for people. So what do we do? Well, we can't stop speaking about Jesus. We don't have that option. So Sam Chan writes about this and he says what we can do is we can overcome this by inviting people into our homes because our homes are a sacred space. And when you invite people over to your homes for a meal, all of a sudden it makes the environment so much more appropriate and organic to speak about Jesus. Now when I read this, I don't know if this has been your experience, but when I read this it was like the penny drop for me. Because in the last few years, the best conversations I've had about Jesus have been in my home. You know, I've tried outside of my home, right? The hairdresser's not interested. (laughs) My neighbors don't really ask more questions. But in my home, that's when it becomes more authentic, more organic, more natural to have these conversations. So if we want to be better at mission, we have to get better at inviting people over for a meal. That's the second thing we do. So how do we continue the story? Number one, we pray. Number two, we invite over for a meal. Number three, we speak. Okay, we have to speak about Jesus. Now again, if you were in the 90s, if you grew up in the 90s or were alive in the 90s, we've been scarred by this saying, share the gospel, use words if you have to. Right, does that ring a bell for you to remember that? There's a problem with that idea. Right, because the idea is live such a beautiful life that people will just, think and see and ask you, why do you believe what you believe? The problem with that is we actually have to speak about Jesus. There's just no way around it. We have to speak about what we know. We don't want to leave that like, we don't want to leave that hidden. We want to help people see that. And we have to speak about this. Now, again, how do we do this? Well, I I think, again, if we change our attitudes. So, again, let's go 60 years back. 
um, one conversation might have been enough. You know, sometimes we lived in a, a Christian society, if we go 60 years, maybe a little bit more ago, and so one conversation was enough to kind of pull the pieces together for people. Now, uh, I've heard the, the kind of the research is we need to have over 40 conversations about Jesus for someone to become a Christian. So what that means is we can't see one conversation as a silver bullet. Now we need to create an environment where those conversations are ongoing. So how do we do that? How do we create that space, that safe space where we can keep speaking about Jesus? Well, um, Sam Wheeler-Smith came to youth a few weeks ago. He's on staff here, student minister here at Southside. And he came and he gave these four questions to help us get started with the conversation about Jesus. You know, sometimes it's not fear or worry that's gripping us. It's just we don't know where to start. And so he gave us these four questions to ask, and we'll chuck them on the screen, but they're also in your service sheet, I believe, the four questions. Here they are, uh, to help us get started in this conversation. Number one, what was your religious belief growing up? Number two, what's your religious belief now? Number three, why do you believe, uh, why do you believe that? And number four, who do you think Jesus is? Okay, so have a look at those questions. And again, they're in your service sheet, so you don't have to, you can take them with you. But what do you notice about those questions? They're all open questions. Okay, so you can't answer yes or no to those questions. But also, it gets rid of any judgment. Because when you ask someone what was your religious belief growing up, what, are you going to disagree with them? You can't disagree with them. And, and open questions like this, where we create an environment of non-judgment, it creates this safe space where we're actually able to have these ongoing conversations to help people see Jesus. So I'd love you to try this this week. There's four questions there, you know, in your workplaces, wherever you are. Here they are, four questions. What was your religious belief growing up? What are your religious beliefs now? Uh, why do you believe that? And who do you think Jesus is? Sam even suggested when we're talking about this at youth, that if four questions up front's too much, just do one a week. Start with one, see how that goes, and then push into that space. But we do have to speak about Jesus. Now, this is one way to start the conversation. You might have other ways. You know, and I'd love to hear them after the service, how you talk about Jesus and what it looks like and any strategies you've got. But this is such a helpful way to begin the conversation. So number one, we pray. Number two, we invite over for a meal. Number three, we speak. Uh, we speak, and then number four, we invite them to what God is doing here at Southside. Specifically here, what we're talking about is the Christianity courses that we run here at Southside. At Southside, we're convinced that God is working in and through us. We've seen that in the last four weeks. You know, we strongly believe that it is worth gathering and meeting together because God is at work among us. And we're deeply convicted that we want to help our community come to know Jesus. You know, that's our vision. We want to see 1% of our community saved. And so we put into our church life and structures moments where we can have Christianity courses to invite people along to see who Jesus is in a way where we're not going to make them sing or pray out loud or read the Bible or whatever, but a safe place where they can ask questions. Now, since we don't know what the next few months are going to look like with all of these restrictions, we've decided that in term four, we're going to run this course online. And a part of that is instead of running the life course, which is one of the courses that we've run at Southside for the last few years and seen people become Christians in the last few years, 
we're going to run the alpha course uh, online in term four. Now, watching these the videos, there's a lot of overlap, which is kind of cool between that. Um, but I've been seeing that the alpha course online has, in Australia, in the UK, in Asia, in, all around the world has been working really well. And so we're going to run the Alpha course in Term 4 uh, online. Now, the way we do this here at Southside is we don't say, you know, give someone an invitation and just leave it with them. We encourage you to say, hey, come along with me to this thing, right? You've got the relationship. Come along with me. You sit with them. You ask their questions. You, you, you ask questions with them on behalf of them sometimes. It's a, it's a team effort in that. And uh, that's how we run it. Now, we did this in Term 2 online, the life course in Term 2, and it was awesome. Uh, we had about seven people come along, a few people become Christians, and um, Ash Willett came along with her mum. It was so awesome to see because, you know, like, if you don't have, if your family's all Christian, you, you know that it's not hard, like, you don't think it's difficult in that, but it is hard with family to invite them to stuff. And so she, she did. And I asked Ash to write a thing of how she found it for us. And I promise I didn't pay her to do this. And I didn't change what she said. Okay, but here's what she said uh, on her experience of the life course. After our life course moved online a few months back, I invited my mum along. It was so awesome to have the opportunity to explain and discuss the gospel, especially as mum lives in New South Wales in a rural area with no local church. Mum said she found the course content really helpful, and since then we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark together. God is so good, and while it's so inconvenient that COVID restrictions have meant we can't always meet face-to-face, God is still working and growing His church. How good is that? God is still working. You know, we've been saying this for four weeks This isn't just in the book of Acts. God is working here in his church. And so here's what we're going to do. On the 22nd of October, we're going to start the Alpha course online on Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. You've got enough time to plan for it and invite for it. You've got enough time to pray for it. You know, pray for these people that you want to invite. Invite them over, all of that sort of stuff. You don't have heaps of time, right? Because that'll come up on us very quickly. But we're going to start that for six weeks and run the Alpha course online and we're expecting and excited to see God at work. So how do we do mission? Well, here's four ways that we do this. We pray, we invite for a meal, we speak, we invite uh, to the Christianity course that we run here at Southside. Now, that's how we do it. But ultimately, the question is not simply how do we do it. Ultimately, as we finish up this series and this sermon, the question is, will we do it? The question is, will you participate in the story and continue the story of what God is doing in this world? Not just will we feel like we want to do it here and now, but as we leave this church and as we go into our world and into our neighborhood and into our community, will we continue to move in the space where God is working in this world and through his people and help people become Christians? I pray and I hope you will because there's so much on the line. Life and death are on the line. And yet, God is working in us and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we have this opportunity to be involved in something bigger than ourselves. Lord, we ask that as we think about this, that we would do this not from any other motivation other than you've saved us and you've loved us and you've helped us see Jesus. And so we would 
We pray that we would from that move into our world to help people everywhere see Jesus and love Jesus. And we pray that you would work through our efforts, our weak efforts, our broken efforts, when we're tired, when we're run down. But we pray that you would work in us and through us for the sake of bringing people everywhere to know and love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.